Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. I'm delighted to have Eve Ellis as my guest today. She is a founder of the Matterhorn Group at William Blair and co-manages the Matterhorn Refinitive Diversity and Inclusion Strategy and the Gender Parity Strategy. Her wealth management clients include individuals, families, and private and public foundations who want to align their investments with their values. Hello, Eve, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hi, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Great. Even I share the last name of Ellis, but we met for the first time at a sustainable investment conference several years ago. Yes, Paul, I remember looking at your name tag and wondering if I was really seeing the name Ellis or not. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a, a wake up moment for me too, because I, I didn't think I had any relatives uh, at, at that conference at that time, so. So we're not related, but we do share the same last name. Right. So let's begin our conversation by focusing on the Matterhorn Group at William Blair. You managed two Matterhorn portfolio strategies, which launched before you joined the firm. But first, I want our podcast audience to know they can learn more about impact investing at William Blair by reading Our Journey to a Sustainable Future, which is linked through the attachment tab of this podcast program. Yeah, and I appreciate that you're including that because it really was one of the publications that grabbed us about the firm. Um, When my partner, Nikolai Jabankov, and I were reading Our Journey to a Sustainable Future, I remember thinking that William Blair gets it, that we share the same values. My goal as a wealth advisor is to bring my clients opportunities for sustainable investing. Good. So this piece opens with the following statement. As investors and advisors who focus on our clients' long-term success, sustainability is central to how we assess the risks and opportunities facing our clients. So how- I'm gonna interrupt you for just one second to just say, you know, really in short, sustainability is material, as you know, Paul. Yes, good. How and when did the Matterhorn Group and William Blair find each other? Well, Nikolai and I had conducted a thorough search for a new home. And one year ago, we first met Ryan DeVore, head of private wealth management at William Blair. And the firm, just to familiarize you, is an 85-year-old private partnership with an international footprint. And it was just the right cultural fit for us. Um, A partnership has more flexibility and can think longer term and invest in its employees and clients really for the long haul. Good. So Eve, 2020 has been a year of multiple impacts for investors, advisors and asset managers. In addition to the COVID-19 pandemic, What other impacts to life as we knew it before the pandemic has the Matterhorn Group and your clients been managing this year? Well, in addition to the pandemic, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear uh, the Black Lives Matter movement stands out. Um, After we all watched the 
nightmare of George Floyd's excruciating murder, uh, we wondered what we could do. A few clients requested that we create a total portfolio dedicated to advancing racial justice using outside asset managers, as well as our diversity and inclusion strategy. So we've now launched such, such a racial justice portfolio. And it's comprised of managers who, for example, inv invest in companies that promote racial equality in the workforce, invest in companies that do not eliminate their waste in communities of color, um, or managers who themselves are people of color. Usually such managers garner a mere 2% of assets. I'd have to say, you know, as you're aware, the newly published 2020 US SIF Trends Report revealed that $17 trillion are in sustainable investing. That's 33% of all invested dollars. So, uh, you know, and you and I know that that's a 42% increase in just the last two years. Um, but if you think about it, it makes sense. Companies win when they are forward thinking, doing the right thing, when they're modern, when they're safer, when they're more inclusive and more humane. Um, you know, and for investors, a moral stock selection is clearly more than just moral. I see. Okay, good. Even after many years of environmental impact being the lead environmental, social, and governance consideration for investors, social impacts related to the pandemic, systemic racism, uh, and gender, as you've mentioned, and income inequality in corporate America are being acknowledged by many companies as mission critical issues to incorporate into a competitive business model. So how are these admissions of corporate stakeholder values, importance manifesting in the market valuation of companies and in their cost of capital? Well, it's true. These really are mission critical issues for businesses now. As just one example, we can look at what happens when a business values diversity. Um, when, a, when a business values and incorporates total diversity, I see three categories of advantages relating specifically to cost of capital, talent, performance, and risk. So let's take talent first, talent, strength, and retention. There is certainly a cost to losing talent. I mean, high attrition is a serious cost to any company. And as investors, we want to invest in companies where employees feel not just tolerated, not just accepted, but rather fully valued in bringing their full selves to work. And that enables them to be more committed and excited and productive at work. And I like to tell the story of a company, and I think I've told you this before, um, that it's the story of a company we're invested in in gender parity, where one of the employees told me how excited she felt about her work. She even said, I can't wait to get to work in the morning. Now, would you rather invest in her company or one where employees dread going to work? And it's not just about wanting the companies we invest in to keep costs low. In our DNI strategy, one of the questions for Finitive researches on the companies we invest in is the average hours and training costs the companies spend per employee. Well, you would want that number to be high. So with regards to diversity, 
talent, retaining talent is number one. Second, as I mentioned, is performance or performance enhancement. And there is extensive research that shows that diverse teams outperform. Um, for example, McKinsey's 2020 Diversity Wins, How Inclusion Matters, showed that companies in the, in the top quartile with more women executives outperformed the bottom quartile in profitability. And companies in the top quartile with ethnic and cultural diversity outperformed the bottom quartile also in profitability. Um, that came from McKinsey, as I said. So there was another study um, in 2017 and again, I'm just pointing out a few, but there are many. But in 2017, a study conducted by the consulting company called Cloverpop concluded that inclusive teams can make better business decisions. Teams that follow an inclusive process can make decisions faster with fewer meetings. A lot of people like fewer meetings. So can you imagine if you can make decisions faster with fewer meetings? and decisions made and executed by diverse teams deliver better results. So you've got talent, um, performance, and third regarding cost of capital with a look at, dis at diversity is risk mitigation. And there is no better example of this than the fact that um, it's widely been reported in the media recently that insurance companies are now meeting with company officials to examine diversity practices before renewing or signing new DNO directors and, and officers insurance policies. So they're concerned about lawsuits against boards and management for a lack of diversity. As we speak, a board of a well-known company is being sued for not having a black person on its board. In other words, lack of diversity is now being seen as a risk to a business. And I think you know, Paul, that I think it takes a village. So if this is what it takes, insurance companies now pressuring companies, then, then so be it, we'll take it. Eva, I assume that that's uh, uh, um, what you just talked about with regard to risk and the involvement of the insurance sector. I'm assuming that that's unfolding on a global basis, not just here in the United States. Um, yeah, the example I saw was on a global basis. The company is based in the US, but it's a global company. And my sense is if it's not global, I can't imagine that it's happening only in the US. So um, wherever DNO insurance policies are written, I believe that that's, that's, that's the issue here. Okay, good. Now you, you've uh, mentioned, of course, Refinitiv. Tell me how that developed with Refinitiv and what it does for you. At so um, about five years ago, five or six years ago at this point, um, I first was um, learning about the Refinitiv Diversity and Inclusion Index. And um, there are 150 researchers at Refinitiv who are looking at 7,000 companies worldwide on diversity and inclusion metrics. So they're looking at 24 different metrics including you know, what's a company's family leave policy like, what's their hiring, retaining, promoting policy like, um, what's their HIV AIDS policy like. So they're looking at different policies of companies regarding total inclusion. So when we talk about the different categories of diversity in it, um, you know, for example, there are eight different categories of diversity. So for example, you know, gender, race, ethnicity, 
um, age, uh, disability, LGBT, so eight different def categories of diversity. And then for their index, they're ranking the top 100, both on market size and um, on these different issues. And, um, you know, let's say a company has a Me Too moment and they're looking at how they uh, dealt with that Me Too moment. So it's quite comprehensive. And when I saw the index and saw the level of um, the breadth of it, um, I thought I'd like to offer this to clients. And so we now have the exclusive relationship to make their index into um, an investable portfolio or product. So we take those 100 companies, we have additional screens we apply and um, there it's a, it's a um, global large cap portfolio that has at this point 41 companies in it. And uh, it's well diversified. A, a stated investment objective of both the Matterhorn Refinitive Diversity and Inclusion Strategy and of the Gender Parity Strategy is to have an impact on social returns by advocating for diversity and inclusion and gender parity in corporate America. So tell our listeners how uh, you do that type of advocacy uh, on behalf of your shareholders and with the companies. So we do it in a variety of ways. I mean, advocacy can happen through direct dialogue with individual companies, and that can include companies we invest in, companies we haven't invested in, um, and even other asset managers that we no longer select for our clients because they fall far short on diversity. Um, it can also mean investing with other women managers and managers of color and recognizing companies that do the right thing. We're, we're also active participants in three organizations which amplify investors' voices on DNI issues. So the first, um, I joined in 2013, the 30% Coalition, and I'm a member of their Institutional Investors Committee and a member of the Coalition's Adopt a Company campaign. Um, and the 30% Coalition is the organization that recently teamed with NASDAQ to encourage companies to increase the number of women and people of color on boards. You may have seen that NASDAQ has now asked the SEC to approve a new rule requiring more diverse corporate directors. Yes, and, I did see that. Story. Yeah, and, and that's just groundbreaking news and comes from amplifying voices. Um, I also recently joined the Intentional Endowment Network uh, where I'm a member of two of its working groups. One is the Shareholder Engagement Working Group and the other is the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Working Group. And uh, of course, I'm a member of USIP, which is where you and I met. Right. So Eve, you recently shared on LinkedIn an article from the New York Times in her words column, which was entitled An Electrifying Economist's Guide to the Recovery, which envisions a post-pandemic world that redefines what is value. What's your perspective on companies prioritizing this kind of new social contract across their stakeholder base as part of the economic recovery process uh, as we struggle with getting that going 
uh, during the pandemic. Post-pandemic, we all have an opportunity for a rethink and reset. And what does that mean? I mean, on, on the macro level, stakeholders now include more than shareholders. Stakeholders also include employees, customers, vendors, suppliers, and even competitors. And as the economist in that article, Mariana Mazzucato said, we can quote, view the recovery process as an inflection point toward a new world, which is greener, more inclusive and more sustainable, fueled by smart innovation-led economic growth, end quote. She also stated that government plays an important role too and points out that it always has. So that's the macro level. Then we need to do a deeper dive to understand what this rethink and reset entails for individual companies. Uh, the Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women recently published a blueprint for recovery called Building Bridges, Not Walking on Backs, a Feminist Economic Recovery Plan for COVID-19. In it, they recommend a recovery that includes raising minimum wage, providing paid sick days, providing paid family leave, widening access for low-income consumers, and, and they go on. There are many other policy changes that they are um, recommending. And think if companies rethink and reset to prioritize greater social well-being, I believe that all of the stakeholders will benefit. And as important, the companies themselves will benefit. I know you and your subscribers know this, Paul, but I think it's worth stating or reminding us all that this is the long game. I agree with you. I think that more we can focus this type of advocacy work across the entire investment landscape, whether it's at the institutional, individual, or private investment level, the more we will see companies responding as they are already doing to the impacts of the pandemic. And I think there's more and more opportunity uh, across the entire ESG um, integrated spectrum to do more of this type of advocacy. And uh, it's, it's certainly part of what I do as a consultant to financial advisory firms in my work there is encourage them to, to make this an integral part of their practice management model for their clients so that their clients can actually have the experience of interfacing with the companies that they own. What, what do you see happening when, when you share that type of, uh, of experience with your clients? Oh, they want it. They're, they're hungry for it. Um, and I, I, I want to say you really have had an impact on, on this, but I, I just feel like clients are asking for it. Um, they want to do good, do well. Um, they, they see it not as a, a zero sum game. This is a win for everyone and um, they get it, you know, they're forward thinking. So that, I mean, that's, that's why I think this is, this is, it's not, I was going to say this is the way of the future, but it's not really, this is the way of the future. This is now it's happening right this second. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree with you. So Eve, we're just about out of time for today's program. Uh, and I want to thank you very much for joining me on the Sustainable Finance Podcast. 
My guest today on, on this program has been Eve Ellis. Eve is a founder of the Matterhorn Group at William Blair. Eve, where can Sustainable Finance Podcast subscribers and listeners learn more about your research and investment opportunities through the Matterhorn Group at William Blair? And how can they get in touch with you for more information about topics we've discussed on the podcast program today? Uh, the best place to reach me is by email, which is E. Ellis. So it's my first initial and last name, E. Ellis at WilliamBlair.com. Right. Paul, I, I just want to say thank you because, you, as I said before, you've had such a strong impact um, in this area, and I really appreciate the work you do. So thank you for doing it. Thank you, Eve. And I want to return the compliment. You're one of the people that I depend on to continue learning about gender and diversity in investing. Well, thank you very much again, Eve Ellis, my guest for today. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.